A Fatal Misconception by Kira Gonzalez. Prologue. In a small town of Charlotte, Illinois, you'd be pleasantly surprised at what you saw. The smells of the restaurants are divine, whilst the cashiers in the local grocery stores are always delighted to see customers. Heck, everyone there is in the mood like they won the Powerball the lottery that morning. But, you see, behind every smile is pain and agony. Hundreds of residents in Charlotte have died over the past couple of years, though not one person is certain just how. Officials say that one of the main causes of death in this town is suicide. Some of this is true, but not much. Most of the time, these cases have occurred directly after that person had lost a family member or friend, making it reasonable. Some residents believe this, trying as hard as possible to cheer up one another, but to others, it almost seems like Kenny. When the spiraling of devastation will cease, it is unknown. Chapter 1. I sighed as I once again checked my phone. No reply, I saw. He was supposed to be here now. We were walking home to our apartment complex in Charlotte from Joliet. There is no school in Charlotte, so we had to walk two miles to school every day. He knows his way around Joliet, Joliet like the back of his hand, but he still isn't here. Suddenly, someone grabbed me by the shoulders. I tried to squirm out of reach, but I wasn't budging. I quickly made the conclusion that I was being kidnapped, so I reached my leg back, twisted it around my attacker, and nobbled him in the ribs. Then I heard a thud. Rolling around, I was surprised as to who it was. Michael, I exclaimed. There you are. I'm so sorry I did that. I thought you were kidnapping me. I'm glad that you're here. Michael smiled and extended his arm, signal- signaling me to help him up. I took it, starting to pull him off the ground, but then I quickly dropped him. Ow! Jess, what the heck was that for? He cried. On your leg. Blood. Bleeding, I struggled to say. My breathing was fast, and I could feel my face get hot. Dizziness swept over me, causing me to sway. I had to hold on to a lamppost nearby to keep myself from fainting. Michael finally saw what was happening and looked down at his right knee, which had a scrape not misdreaded in the corner. My leg? Oh, sorry, he apologized, untying the jacket around his waist. He then tied it around the cut of his knee. There, you can't see it anymore. We better get going now. It's getting close to four o'clock. It took me two minutes to stop hyperventilating, and only after we started the long walk home. I'd always hated how I acted around this head of blood, no matter how little there was. My father was a doctor. I guess I never carry on the family tradition. Michael was standing now, towering over me by at least four or five inches. His hair fell over his eyes, hiding the deep sage they were. Me, on the other hand, barely standing five feet at fourteen, and had several freckles covering my face. Also, I was fairly sure I had the weirdest hawk nose you'd ever see. Look it up on the, look it up on the internet and you'd understand. Thirty minutes later, we reached the sign that read, Welcome to Charlotte, Illinois. Population, 2,554. Though I knew it was much less than that. Tennis overcame me like a bedsheet. It reminded me of my father, how he put me to bed every night and kissed me on the cheek. It was one, he was one of the best parts of coming home every day. I knew it was lucky, some kids not having a dad at all. No, I thought. Why am I thinking like this? I'm happy, right? Don't be such a downer. What the? said Michael. My thoughts were interrupted as I snapped into reality. Around the corner of my apartment complex, I saw lights. Red lights. An ambulance. As we rounded the corner, what I saw was the last thing a child would ever want to see. Chapter 2 Dad, I screamed. I at once recognized his tough, tough safari hair, like mine, sticking out the stretcher. Mom was there, tears streaming down her face. I hadn't seen her in two weeks. My parents had split when I was six. I already knew what happened before asking anyone, but I did anyway. What happened? I asked no one in particular. Deputy Simons, the town sheriff, answered for me. He took a deep breath. Jesse, your father. 
I'm really very genuinely sorry. He shot himself up again an hour ago. The big man's, the big man's stomach moved slightly as he talked to me. I felt numb. I couldn't think of anything at all. I could only see Mom in the background bawling. Suddenly, my numbness developed into anger. I'd like to see proof of this claim, Deputy Lyman's. Inaccurate conclusions will certainly, certainly lead to. We have all the proof we need here. Deputy Simon's coming off, his double chin moving as he spoke. Holding off a plastic bag, I saw a pistol. This is the weapon he used. It has his fingerprints all over it. Again, I'm really sorry. I looked over at his car, and inside were tons and tons of plastic gloves, as though he always needed to go and look for fingerprints on weapons, which was true. I couldn't hold it in anymore and burst into tears, feeling Michael embrace me. I'd completely forgotten that he was here, there until then. Me, Jesse Belker, was fatherless. I guess I was so attached to him, talked about him so much, that one day it would be over. I must have not ever really known him. No, he was better than, he was better than this. I knew he was. In all my 14 years of being alive, I knew him better than anyone. Something else had happened to him, and I knew just what it was. He'd been murdered. And I was going to find out just who did this, and who was responsible for hundreds of other deaths of innocent people. Michael was looking at me with a questioning face. Are you okay? I know your dad just died, but you look awfully pale. Do I need to get the paramedics to check you out? No, no. You don't need to do that. But I don't think I, don't think I can wrap my mind around this, I sniffed. I mean, I know my dad better than anyone. I know he'd never do this himself. Well, it's not like he could do anything about it, right? I know you're crazy smart and all, but it's still all you're talking about, Michael said, cocking his head to the side. I told my idea, completely legal, about how to catch this card. In vengeance to all those who died innocent, including dad, Michael was silent for five seconds, ten seconds, until he finally spoke. spoke. With a sniff, he said, let's get that killer. Chapter 3. Four weeks later, a week after Dad's funeral, Michael and I met in my new room. The funeral was too thirsty, and all they wanted to do was celebrate a life of the deceased. How could you celebrate someone's life if they had possibly hated it? I moved to my mother's apartment the day after my father's death. There was still no celebration in Michael's apartment and the school. It was neat and tidy, everything labeled, everything in the perfect place. Michael kicked off his shoes and sat on my bed. Are you sure you want to do this? I mean, I was just making sure you want to go through with it. I'm very sure. Read the local newspapers for this week, I demanded. Michael took out some papers from the red folder. Okay. But there's six cases of reported suicide this week. Why, if you ask me. Must use weapon. Pistol. Michael scanned the paper. Okay, I thought. Not everyone has a pistol in Charlotte, right? Right. So it would have to be the same person. <sighs> this would be easier than I thought. Why don't you go over possible suspects you seen over the past month? I suggested. Once again, Michael shuffled some of the papers in his folder and pulled out a piece of blind paper. Okay, um, I, well, I wrote down Mrs. Banks, so I created my apartment in 291, I said. Mrs. Banks? Not. I saw that. I knew that she'd never be a killer. Heck, she created to keep my 11th birthday party a secret. Sure, she was close to Dad's apartment. There was no way in such that she would kill him. Well, Michael went on. Next, I have Deputy Simons. And then I laughed aloud and studied he awkwardly. There is no absolute way Deputy Simons could have done it. If he did, he would have surely been caught. The thought was of it was hilarious. 
Let me stop. Michael looks serious. Alright. Alright. I've got one more. You wanna hear it? Sure. Well, he started. I I wrapped down John Wilson. You see, he was in the army, right? So he has some experience with guns. He always seems pretty grumpy all the time ever since his wife died ten years ago. He's probably hurting. And feels that others should hurt too. A surge of anger went through my chest. It seems so true. Of course it would be John Wilson. This makes perfect sense, like entirely. Why didn't I think of this before? Ugh, maybe it should be me giving all this the only reason about competitions since I'm so smart now. Michael scoffed. He knew not in a million things that would happen. Whatever. We'll just know the fight is sheriff tomorrow. My mom always wants to spend so much time with me ever since well, you know. No, said Michael. She's going to Sheriff too much. We're going to have to catch him ourselves. How about we meet up next Saturday and follow John? I'll take my care to capture him red-handed and possibly save the victim as well. You in? Sure, I said, making a smile. And inside, my stomach dropped. Whatever the police said was wrong, this was suicide. Chapter 4 I waited for the dreaded Saturday to come. I don't know why I said we'd go with Michael. He knew it was dangerous, but he was going to go and try and capture a suspect in the active murder anyway. I spent plenty of time with Mom in the time I had, just in case I'd never see her again. Now I was waking up to a feeling that was heavy like a bowling ball. I quickly got dressed in a sweatshirt and jeans and walked down the stairs. Mom noticed. Jessie, honey, where are you going? She asked. Oh, uh, Michael and I were just going to go see Dad in the graveyard. I lied. Thinking of her brought tears in my eyes, making her think we were really going. As they bolted out the door, I heard something, but couldn't make it out. It was too sad to notice, for I was thinking of what would happen to my mother if she'd lost me too. With walking the five minutes to what used to be my apartment complex, the misty air carried melancholy. My stomach showed as my eyes still with tears yet to come. I didn't want to do this, not even meant losing my life or my best friends. I felt sick of the fact that we might not even make it alive that day. I realized I'd been looking down at the ground for most of the time I'd be walking, because when I looked up, I saw my familiar red-brown bricks with the broth, black trim toward the ground. I saw that old crumbled stairs that I once been a game out of by seeing how hard I had to stop on it for it to break. And lastly, I saw the most familiar thing, Michael. Hey Jess, right on time, like always. I caught my camera, so let's go get ourselves a killer. It's like being a detective, Michael greeted me. We're not detectives, I snapped at him. Well, Jess, I know you probably woke up on the wrong side of bed, but... I did not wake up on the wrong side of bed. I shouted at the show the way I always hated. I don't even want to do this in the first place. Do you know how, many, how much danger that we would put ourselves in? Yeah. Okay. But you know how many lives we'll save if this works? Michael's eyebrows furled. I know. I know. You've been telling me this every day at school. It's a potential murderer we're talking about here. What if we get killed? What if you get killed? My voice softened until it was barely a whisper, like I could break it any second. I've already lost my dad. I can't lose you, too. I care about you, Michael. You know I do. Michael retorted. Well, you've been saying this ever since we five. It's really starting to get old, and as far as I'm concerned, I have you an invitation to meet me here, and you said yes. But don't worry, Miss. You can't do anything because I can't care about because I care about you. You don't have to do, come. I'll go let myself because if we're not going to save the town, then who will? I had no time to reply because at that moment he got up, walked through the door to open the entrance of the apartment, and slammed the door. Chapter 5. 
visited the entrance to my close apartment complex, feeling so much anger that I was at a loss of words. Why was he so willing to put himself in danger? I knew that he wanted to save the town, but why not himself? It's like I didn't know him anymore, just like I thought I knew my father. Maybe he did kill himself. Maybe he was struggling more than he let on. I never bothered to ask him, and that was a horrible mistake. My face turned red, my fists clenched. I had been so caught up in my own life, others were silently hurting, and now it was too late. I punched the wall as hard as I could. It hurt so much, but I deserved it. My mind feeling foggy, I felt myself start to walk north, the direction of the graveyard. I guess I hadn't lied to my mother after all. The falling ball in my stomach was unbearably heavy then, causing me to slouch in grief. Suddenly, the wind started to pick up, sending chills under my sweatshirt, which I tugged on tighter. It was never usually this cold in March, I thought. Maybe Dad felt like this, except every day. I understand why he might have done this to himself. Five minutes later, I found myself staring at the entrance to the graveyard. Taking a deep, shaking breath, I proceeded forward. Skimming each tombstone, I read the names of the unfortunate people that died. It didn't take long to find the one I was looking for, since... Somehow, it was all separated in alphabetical rows. I came to a halt at the one that said, In memoriam, Thomas A. Balker, born August 3rd, 1981, died February 9th, 2019. There are different assortments of flowers that seemed to hug the tombstone, from interns to doctors from the hospital. Some of them were from students at school, and others were from teachers. But the thing was, though, I was there, next to Dad. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about him. Instead of seeing the flowers, my mind drift back to Michael, which turned in my chest. I had no idea what the feeling was or why it was there. It came as I remember the first time I met him eight years ago when we were in kindergarten. <coughs> I just moved to Charlotte from somewhere in Georgia and had no friends at that time. At recess one day, I was staring fascinated at my favorite flower, the Virginia Bluebell, when I felt a tap on my shoulder. Startled, I rolled around. Hey, said a boy with the same sage eyes. He towered over me and still did today and gave me the warmest smile. I know you're new. I'm Michael. Want to play with me? Sure, I'd said. And that was the start of our friendship. Every birthday I've ever had since kindergarten, he gave me Virginia bluebells, picked straight out of his grandfather's orchard which in Galena, which was about three and a half hours away. No matter how hard it was, he went all out of his way to get me them. Now that might all be gone. Tears pricked my eyes, and for the first time since my father died, it wasn't for him. Thinking about how much I was losing it was overwhelming. Overwhelming. I looked backward, making sure no one was watching me. I didn't want to look like a crybaby, even though this was a depressing place. I saw the owner of the cemetery, giving me a big, sickly smile. A fake smile. Huh. I thought. Maybe this woman lost her husband or something. Or maybe planning to, who to kill next. Out of nowhere, I heard a noise. I stopped breathing, focusing intently on what the noise was. I stared at the owner of the cemetery, who seemed not to have heard anything. I decided that it was the wind, since it had picked up a lot in the last hour. So, looking at the grave, I continued to sob. Three minutes later, I heard the noise again, loud and clear. It was a scream, rough and full of voice cracks. A boy's scream. Michael's scream. Michael! I jumped up and started to sprint out of the cemetery, tearing through bushes. I dodged mailboxes and benches that were seemingly always in the way. Straining my ears to hear the origin of the scream, I, dis- I started to hear groans and yelps of pain. I knew it was Michael, just by the huskiness of his voice. Oh, I should never have left him alone. 
As the noise became louder, I ran into the slightly more urban part of town. Then the grunting became softer. I had already passed where it was coming from. Slowly, carefully, I walked back the way I'd come from. And where the noise was loudest, I found a small house. It was this is green with a red door. I knew just whose house it was. John Wilson. Maybe Michael was being kidnapped. Not thinking, I burst through the door. No one I saw made my heart skip a beat. Just a quiet, dark room. Was someone there? Absent-mindedly, I tried to close the door, but I didn't. I pushed the door as hard as I could and heard a thud. Gah! I heard a sharp gasp of pain. I, immediately, I looked down at the floor and was so relieved of what I saw. It was Michael. He was here after all. Michael, you don't have any, you don't have any idea how worried I was about you. I thought, shh, be quiet. The things that happened here. The thing I saw. The things. Michael trailed off, trailed off as he went limp. He wasn't dead. I knew because I saw the rise and fall in his chest, but I did notice a small bump on his forehead. The conclusion I made was that something hit his head, causing him to be unconscious. But what was it? My eyes searched for a light switch, and I found one not three in front of me. Quickly, I switched it out, only to be horrified. There were splatters of red on the white carpet in the room, which I knew was blood. Nausea rolled through the pit of my stomach but not enough to cause me to vomit. Instead, I looked at the walls and took through the hallway. There, the things that my, what were the things that Michael had seen? There was nothing on the floor except for some blood stains. I started shaking and worry. Was there something in here I didn't want to see? As I slowly moved around the corner of the kitchen, I screamed in horror. There he was, John, lying on the floor, motionless. His long blonde hair was drizzled in wet blood. His pale face was twisted in pain, but he, seemed, but he didn't seem to be breathing. Worst thing, his torso. There were dips in his chest that emitted oozing dark red mixed with the red of his bones. I saw it. I stood deep today, but I saw his right line, a dark, slate gray. This is all too much, and I vomited right, and I vomited right as I stood. My breath became short and depressed. I became unbearable dizzy, making me lightheaded and unaware of a nearby plant which I bumped into. I tripped over, my, over myself and fell to the floor, and everything went black. Suddenly, my eyes floated open. It took me a minute to adjust to the light. I checked my watch, but said the time was too late. Yep. Five minutes. I'd be unconscious for five minutes, since the time was two or three as I burst through the door. Either way, I needed to get out of there. I started to lift myself off the floor when someone pinned me down. Hard. I let out a gasp as all the wind got left out of me. You shouldn't be here. I heard muffled grunts of a voice, a man's voice. My attacker's face was hidden since the lights had been turned off. The darkness had never heard the smell of their breath. Fear. The man was drunk. That was slightly better, because now he wasn't think thinking correctly. Therefore, I had about three or four seconds of an advantage during a chase because his sense of direction would be altered. Looking at the outline of this person's face, it was round and flabby. He was exceedingly heavy. Overweight, I figured. How was I supposed to get him out from under him? I noticed I had a free hand, 
But what was I supposed to do with it? Hit him? No, that wouldn't work. But I felt for something around me until I felt something hard. I cried him. Great, I thought. When Jarmos was being killed, a pain was dropped out of struggle or wrestle. I grabbed the pain and fled it on my attacker's head. Clang. The sound filled the room, and the man slowly rolled off me with a curse. Relieved, I slowly got up. Only to see Michael standing in front of me, wincing and bang. Good, you're up. I smiled, turning my butt to the drunk. How's your head? I'll be fine. I've got my camera, so we can give it to the police. I guess I should leave now, said Michael. Oh, yes, please. We, all, we already know we both want to get the heck out of here. You know, I say more? I mean, wham. Michael's camera was slammed out of his hands, shattering on the floor. I ran over and turned the light on. As I did, my eyes practically popped out of my head. Deputy Simon, Michael and I both screamed out at the same time. It was him all along. The plastic grab, gloves in his car were to put for fingerprints there to hide them. He was up wearing them now because he was barely thinking. If the reason that Deputy Simon was always a crime scene was only because he was a police officer, but because he was the murderer, why didn't we, why hadn't we thought of this before? But then I remembered. Michael wrote him down the list of suspects he wrote. I only laughed, but he looked serious. Now it was a costly mistake. We need to get out of here, fast. Michael acted and snatched the pan out of Simon's hand, then smacked him in his stomach. Simon's stomach fell to the floor. Come on, we can hide in the closet I found upstairs if we heard. You go first, Michael first me to go on without him. I took one step and felt an intense, agonizing pain in my left leg. It was so sudden I collapsed to the floor. Dark circles started to appear before my eyes. For the second time, I was about to pass out. I felt my mind swim, everything either black or blurry. In one of the blurry times, I saw Michael hit Deputy Simons with the pan. In another, I saw him run toward me. Mm. I struggled to say anything. The throbbing, excruciating pain was too much. I felt myself be picked off the ground. Michael's picking me up. I could barely see anything. Everything seemed fuzzy. In a few seconds, I felt myself being carried slightly upward, so I knew we were going upstairs. I also felt Michael's heartbeat. That's the worrisome, like a butterfly. A trouble butterfly, that is. When we were at the top of the stairs, it seemed very dark, like the light wasn't on. Michael never bothered to turn up light on and rushed me to an even darker room. Suddenly, the lights came on. We were in the bathroom. I felt myself being studied on a closet on the toilet. Michael caught his knees, trying to be his best to soothe me. Stay with me, Mal. Stay with me. I wish I had... I knew I wasn't going to die at that moment. All the pain had subsided into numbness, and my head had come slightly into focus. I didn't say anything, though, because I was mad at him for almost getting himself and me killed. Because still get killed now. I scowled it as I ran to the cupboard and rummaged around for something. I could do nothing but sit. I was so bored, and I was feeling better enough to look at the damage done to my body. My good boy, I peered down over myself, only to recoil back gagging. It's eaten now. There was a whole knife stuck in the higher half of my cap, and I could vividly see the other side of the blade sticking out through one side. Again, blood was everywhere, dripping down the sides of my leg and all over the floor. As I looked up again, I saw Michael throw a couple towels down in frustration. Ugh, he cried. They're tiny. I guess it's fine, I mumbled, a frown forming upon my face. It's not gonna, it's not gonna make it out of here. Alive, anyway. 
why don't you plan how to get yourself out here, and I'll just wait until I die. No, you're not dying, Jesse Kaffenbulver. Not today. We are getting out of here together. And you want to know why? Because I care about you. Always have, always will. And if you don't, didn't know that, now you do. Michael declared as he looked me straight into the eye. So it was good as ever. My nose sticking out so far that it touched his from six inches away. I didn't care, though. A smile was already sweeping over my face. Abruptly, the door started shaking vigorously, followed by loud bangs and grunts. Thank goodness I would lock the door. That aside, Simon's was back, and he was breaking into the room. Chapter 7 Open up, you stupid kids, I heard the gruff voice of Simon's grunt. Obviously, this man was stupid enough to keep going to try and kill us, rather than running away. Even though his fingerprints were all over everything. Or, he was intoxicated enough to not even have the thought cross his mind. You try and call 911, and I'll press against the door and try and stop Simon from coming in here, okay? Michael panted in worry as he got up and ran over to the door. I had nothing to do, really. I thought that calling the police was a cowardice thing to do. And even though I was generally helpless, why did I have to be stuck having this seemingly feeble... Feeble conscience. Michael, how do I get into your phone? I asked hastily, hastily if I, as I attempted to make the black screen come to life. All you have to do is press the button on the side and then swipe the screen when it lights up. I don't have a passcode or password. It's not that. God! I forgot to charge my phone this morning. Dang it. Dang it, dang it, dang it. Michael stopped his head and with each syllable of the last few words he said, Great. Simply great, the fact that we have no source of help. I didn't bring my phone along with me because I thought nothing of it. Especially too soon, only one saying that calling the police was cowardice. We needed them more than ever. Stop talking. I can hear you. You'll come out of here one way or another, dead or alive. No one will know what's happening once I get rid of you two. They won't know what's coming. Michael stammered in fear as he spoke. Listen, Simons, you, you know that even if we don't live through this, you'll still get caught. Your fingerprints will st still be all over the place, even though you're dead, even over our dead bodies. So you lose, Simons. After he finished the last sentence, Michael laughed nervously. But surely, he was right. Simons had lost, but it wasn't like we had won. The police officer screamed in anger. And I heard a loud bang. Almost instantly after, Michael dropped to the ground like a bowling pin. A trickle of red running down his left shoulder. Michael, say something. Talk to me, I howled. Was he dead? Did I lose it now because I didn't try harder to stop him from trying to catch Simons? No, I found out almost a minute later because I heard him murmur. Ow. Just, I can't feel anything or move. I want to cry, but I can't. Now you know how I feel, I whispered under my breath. I tried to scoot back on the toilet seat because I was falling off the left side. Daggers of pain stepped all over my leg as I struggled to move. It's like when your doctor asks you to describe the pain you fall on a scale of 1 to 10, except my answer will be 11. The pain was so intense while moving as little as 2 inches that I almost passed out. But luckily, I didn't. The things on the door became even louder. I note that it wasn't going to hold up much longer, so I need something to throw at Simon's. My eyes searched for something sharp, something capable of burning him. The bathroom sink was rather tall, and I couldn't see over it. Blindly reaching over to the countertop, I fell, fell to run for a few seconds. 
and I felt a sharp pain in my finger, a burning feeling. Hastily, I found the handle and yanked it into view. Looking at it, I saw it was a flat iron. Something useful, finally. Thank God John Rickard Wilson had such long hair. Okay, Jesse. You're the one who needs to stop being a baby and save yourself and Michael. This man killed your dad. You shouldn't be scared. You should be angry. When Simon bursts through the door, you throw the flat iron at him and hope your aiming is correct. It'll all be fine. I reassured myself. As I finished my thought, the door burst open. A gun pointed straight at me. The door fell, barely missing Michael. Without hesitation, I hurled the flat iron at the man, praying that I hadn't failed at the one thing I could do. A scream fell, followed and Simon fell, clutching his forehead. As he fell, he dropped his pistol, the same one as the suicide cases that supposedly used as a weapon. Gun. Gun. Michael's voice wavered in weakness. The gun was right in front of me, on the floor. I had to find some way to lower myself down to ground level to pick the gun up. Suddenly, I started to shift the weight onto my right leg, the one that wasn't that didn't have a knife stuck through it. Then I started to lower myself down. I got in a good three inches down when I lost my footing and fell off the toilet seat, hitting my head on the way down. My mind started to swim again, both my left calf and my head throbbing. Sightlessly, I managed to grapple the pistol and hold it close to my chest. I looked, I looked up expecting to see Simon lying on the floor, but he was nowhere to be seen. Michael, Where's Simon's go? I questioned weakly. No answer. My muscles t- tensed in fear. fear. Did Simon's just leave me to die lying in my own blood? I heard heavy footsteps only a minute ago. I stared at the doorway, waiting for, for about two minutes until I saw a long black object that startled me. The psycho laughed. I got you now, kid. Your friend, too. You don't need telling anyone what happened here. You killed my father, and you're not getting me, too. Or anyone else, hopefully, I said meekly. Straining my disruptive mind to focus more closely, I saw a black object that was the barrel of a rifle. Simons was standing outside a doorway, not in view. He got three seconds to drop that gun. One, what was I supposed to do? I was a lousy aimer, and I wasn't, and I was lucky that I hit Simons with that flat iron. So surely this was the end. I couldn't possibly shoot this man and successfully penetrate a bullet through his body, even though he, even if he was a big target. Two, I put my finger on the trigger, lifting my head slightly to get a better look at my target. Holding the gun to my eye level, I aimed the gun to about a foot below the doorway, concluding that the bullet would hit about the throat area if the bullet stayed straight. Now all was set, and I waited for the dreaded three. The police officer bellowed, jumping into sight, and he did. The rifle in his arm shifted away from me, so he swiftly tried to shift it back into place. Now was my chance. Taking a deep, shaking breath, I switched the position to get a better look and pulled the trigger. I didn't know whether or not I hit him or I was dead because everything in sight lost color until it was in absolute darkness. Chapter 8. Light blinded me, urging me to open my eyes. I listened to the urging, and when I did open my eyes, I found Mom staring at me. Her eyes went wild. Doctor, doctor, she's awake, she's awake. She squealed as he ran out of the room. Now I know I was in the hospital, but for what exactly? Lindsay didn't remember. It really did happen. Simon closed the slide away, and hopefully he was in jail now. I 
talk to me about love life, but I make living in it out loud. I wanted to ask her to talk to me about that. And at the moment she burst and at that moment she briskly walked up the door, smiling a big, trying to fix my Hi Jesse, I see you're awake. Said the doctor, still smiling. I glared at her. Okay. First, the killer's gone. You can stop being happy now. Second, get over with it and something's wrong with my life. I can take it. Well, first can you tell me what happened? Thinking for a moment, I said, Well, first we found John Wilson dead. Then Simon smashed him with his camera. And I got stabbed in the leg from my compartment up the stairs. After that, Simon came out his shut Michael. Michael! I shot sending start sharp pains to my head, causing me to lay down again. Right here. A nurse waved to me, hoping Michael's gonna move. He had a cast over his right arm, but he doesn't but seems to be fine. Fine. Michael here has a surface wound on his shoulder. From that bullet and the mild concussion. You on the other hand. Nurse trailed off. And the doctor finished for her. Um you see, that knife went completely through your life. Thankfully only through the muscles and nerves. So then we took it out and some tissue and put some new tissue in your leg. We'll keep you here for about three days to make sure you'll be okay. Then you'll have to be in a wee wheelchair for about two or three weeks, then crutches. Well, all the old tissue heals and any t tissues starts in. That means you'll be plenty of physical therapy. You'll also need to see a psychologist because of all the trauma you went through. Her the smile on her face disappeared. You took tissue out of my leg? It must have really been that bad for that to happen. It was then mom's turn to speak. Her voice, her tone was benignant but sympathetic. The good thing is, you saved Michael and stopped the few Simon from wiping out the whole town. I have no idea how he got away with it for so long. I have no idea either, Michael interjected, a sincere grin on his face. If he hadn't found it, I don't think I would have made it out alive. You helped too, Michael. You were the one that suspected Simons, but you were the one that caught him. I'm sorry I left you. You're the least. I protested in regret. Michael only beamed wider. Tightness around my returned to my chest. And I finally realized what it was. Affection. I could tell that he, fe he felt it too. I loved how this felt, knowing I'd be finding how Michael and the rest of Charlotte was safe. But I still have a question in mind. What exactly happened to Deputy Simon? The last thing I remember was pulling the trigger on the pistol, but I don't think I would have shot him. The tone of my mom's voice changed. Mrs. Banks heard a scream in John Wilson's house as she was walking on her way to the local store. She thought nothing of it, but by the time she was walking down to her apartment complex, she, she heard gunshots. She called the police and they found <coughs> her life unconscious. They rescued her up to the hospital and took her straight into emergency surgery. Seventeen hours later, here you are. Deputy Simons, they saw, had passed on. Don't worry, don't worry, though. Because there's no charges against you. They say it was self-defense. Simons was a very mentally sick man. I can't believe nobody saw that. You think that matters most is that you and Michael are all right? She was right. That was all that mattered. I was so horrified at the fact that someone who seemed so promising could slaughter so many people, including one of my parents. I understand that he was hurting inside. He may have lost someone, just like uh, my father, but I didn't really need him to take it out on other people. He still had people that cared about him, like I had, like I had my mother, Michael. But he pushed him away. 
best thing you could have done was to take it one day at a time. We all deal with stuff differently. The one thing I knew was I never wanted the feeling uh, that's from the end. I might have changed from that day on, but it was never in a bad way. Looking at everyone smile made me satisfied. I almost wished I hadn't killed Simon. If he didn't lash out, maybe he would have a family. He never had a wife or family. Or he could have been friends with my parents. It's too late now, I decided. If he was he still here today, he'd never know he was missing. Out of all the lies and misconceptions that had been passed around, that was the truest thing I ever believed. Thank you.